at least get my blood pumping. <laughs> um, like uh, Kevin said, Pastor Daniel's down in Nicaragua right now. He should be home tomorrow. He left on Thursday, um, got delayed, spent the night at the airport down in Panama, and then got to Managua that next morning on Friday and hit the road running. Um, they've been able to do children's ministry, youth ministry, men's ministry, parent ministry, and this morning he is teaching at Calvary Chapel, Managua. Now, an interesting deal, in the early 90s, as a church, we were going down to uh, Nicaragua, and Daniel was just a little boy at the time, and my pastor, Pastor Larry Anderson, uh, we were going down there with him, and uh, he had, I guess, one of the times we got back, I went and my wife went a few years later, uh, Daniel had asked Pastor Larry if he could go one day, and uh, Pastor Larry says, one of these days you will be able to go and, and share the gospel. And about 25 years later, that prophecy came true. And I was just so blessed, you know, because he texts me that as he's sitting um, in, in Panama going, in a few hours, I will be over there. And this is what Pastor Larry said to me back in the early 1990s. And so what a blessing, right? Amen. Well, it's been about a month since we were in our, la uh, in our series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled King Jesus. Um, but that's not to say that we have not been in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, because we have been the last few weeks as we shared in the Gospel of Matthew um, for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Um, the last two weeks, though, we have kind of skimmed through from chapters 21 to chapter 28 to the end of the, 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 uh, the book or the Gospel as we ran through the Passion Week and Resurrection Sunday, and I know what some might be thinking, well, if you can cover that much in two weeks, why has it taken us a year and a half just to be in chapter 19? Right, thank you, young lady. <laughs> well, because we skimmed a lot, and we did not go deep as we will in the next few months coming up as we will cover those same chapters, but go in deeper, if you will. Chapter 19, beginning in verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Hopefully we can get to it, through it. It says in verse 16 of chapter 19, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus answered, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I st still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with, man, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all to follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, now Surely I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne, 
of His glory, you who have followed Me will sit, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brother or, or sister or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Father in heaven, please, by your spirit, Lord God, help me as I share this message, Lord. Give me boldness and courage even to, uh, to just share what you've laid on my heart, Lord, and what's in the text. We look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> what I find fascinating as I'm doing my studying um, is all the, the tidbits of information that I gather as I read different things and I listen to other guys and things like that. Whether I ever use it or not, because I gather so much and then I have to cram it into, a, I was going to say a half hour message, 45 minutes, 50 minute message, to cram it all in there. It's quite a bit. But one of the things that I found fascinating and interesting as I'm studying here is that the Bible contains 500 verses on prayer. And it also contains about 500 verses on faith. But over 2,000 verses on money and or possessions. And I also found out that in the four Gospels put together, one in ten verses deals with money and or possessions. It is no wonder people would say, all the church talks about is money. It's like, well, Jesus talked a lot about money. <laughs> and if you've been here long enough, we know you, we don't always talk about money. But at the end of the service, we will take up an offering again. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What are you, you visitors are going, dang it. <laughs> Why did I come? No. Now, it's not that the Bible condemns wealth and or the getting of wealth. There are many in the Bible who, who have been blessed. If you read throughout the Word of God, um, God used men mightily who were tremendously wealthy. As a matter of fact, there, there's some in the Bible that God himself made wealthy and, and gave him wealth. So it's not a bad thing, which is a good thing for us, <laughs> because all of us in this room are wealthy. Every one of us is wealthy. When, when, when you look at the world standards of what wealth is, and you start thinking about that probably as there's seven and a half billion people, that at least two billion of them around the world probably live on five dollars or less a day. That's what their wages are. You see, God is the God of the whole world, not just America, because we always often think it's like, no, I'm pretty poor here in America. Yeah, but in the world, and God is the God of the world. And by, by the world standard, and by historical standards as well, every last one of us sitting in this room are wealthy in comparison. So it is a good thing for us. So this message is not about someone else. <laughs> because I know some are already thinking about the guy who has more money. And they're going to get theirs today. But that's not true. You're going to get yours. Because it's all about us. It's not about the other person. It's about you. When we hear that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to pay attention to that. Because he's talking about us. Because we are wealthy. And it's interesting because people say, oh, you Christians in America, you guys have it so easy. And yet, Jesus says, no, for those of you who have wealth, it's harder for you to enter into heaven than for those who don't have wealth. And so when somebody tells you next time, you Americans, man, you guys have it made, give them this story and say, no, it's really hard for me. You should see the battles that I battle with. 
When I was making absolutely nothing, I was fine. Now I'm making a lot. (laughs) And it is so hard to balance that. And you take someone who lives and has lived on $5 a day for all of his life and they come over here to this country and now they're making 70 grand a year or something like that or 50 or even 40, right? Man, they're going like, I didn't know it would be this hard to serve God and not try to serve this mammon. It's tough. And so again, this is what we are in today. We're, we're in this text and it's like, no, it's hard. Now, understand that Jesus is saying this to this rich young ruler, as he is known to many in the circle. And he didn't say this particular verse, verse 21, to anybody else in Scripture. Understand that, okay? (laughs) But it really doesn't let us off the hook. Just because he didn't say it to anybody else in Scripture, it doesn't mean that he does not want to say this to you today. Okay? 1 Timothy 1, or 6, 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And you think, how could they have sorrows? But they do. Again, the Bible does not condemn wealth, but it does warn against it. The danger is not money. It is the love of money. You see, money does not know that it is money. (laughs) It does not know that. And it could be used for good or for evil, just like a brick. A brick doesn't know it's a brick. But it could be used to build a house... Or it can be used to hit Kurt over the head with. Right? So, but it doesn't know what it's doing. Neither does money. I like what Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary. He says, money, quote, money is a marvelous servant, but a terrible master. If you possess money, be grateful and use it for God's glory. But if money possesses you, beware. It is good to have the things that money can buy, provided you do not lose the things that money cannot buy. Close quote. It's not bad. (laughs) Just be careful. So now, let's get into our text so we can stop talking about us and start talking about the rich young ruler. Okay? So it doesn't get too convicting in here, right? Verses 16 and 17 of our text where it says, Now behold, one came, to, uh, came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Jesus was not denying that he was good, but he's, he's challenging. He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Uh, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter, enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus was not denying that he was not God, as some might say. See, he's saying only God is good. Jesus is God. And, but he's challenging the young man here, okay? Verse 20 of our text here tells us that he was a young man. Luke's gospel tells us that he was very rich. And that he was a ruler of some kind, maybe of a synagogue or something. Hence the name, the rich young ruler. Now Mark's gospel tells us that the young man saw Jesus and his disciples on the road. And he came running to him and knelt before him. Humbling himself in that sense. Showing respect to Jesus. I don't know if he knew him or not, or he had just seen all the works that he had been doing on the east side of the Jordan, but perhaps if he indeed was a ruler of some kind, he may have heard about Jesus and may be running into him for the very first time and says, i got to go catch up with this guy. And he humbles himself and he comes to him. And so this man, as we're looking at him, he seems like he is very sincere and very serious. 
I, I don't think he's coming up to Jesus in, in any way, shape, or form trying to trap Jesus or, or, or test him in any way as we have seen the Pharisees do, the religious leaders. And, and quite frankly, he might be part of the Sanhedrin and might be part of the religious system as well, but he has this question that he needs to ask Jesus. And he comes and he bows before him. And you just don't bow down to just anybody like that. Nor do you call in those days anybody good. It is very seldom that you use that word good in regards to somebody. Because this young man, he probably understood that the word good was always in reference to God. It was reserved for God. And that God alone was good. And yet this young man refers to Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus is about to take issue with that. Now, in the original Greek, the word good is not in it. Or in many early translations, the word good is not in it. But the inference is that this young man is inquiring that he knows that this guy is good. That he is a good teacher or good master. The inference is that he knows this man and what is good in regards to the things of God, i.e. eternal life. He knew that he could ask him about that. The Amplified Bible puts verses 16 and 17, parts of it, the second part of 16, the first part of 17, it puts it like this. It says, teacher, what excellent and perfectly and Perfectly and essentially good deed must I do to possess eternal life. And he said to him, why do you ask me about the perfectly and essentially good? There is only one who is good perfectly and essentially God. That's how he responds to him. And so before Jesus can get into the issue of eternal life with this young man. He is challenging this young man to acknowledge him, Jesus, as God. That's why, that's why he challenges him. Why are you calling me or, or, or talking about good and eternal life in the same sentence if, if, if you know who I am or don't know who I am? And so he's kind of bringing this guy in to, so that this man can acknowledge him as God. Because only God is good. And he must have known the Scripture according, because he knows Scripture. He must have known the Scripture according to Psalm 14.3 where it says, There is no one that does good, no, not one. So in order to have eternal life, one would have to be as good as God. And so Jesus might have given him a few seconds to answer the question, why do you call me good? Or why are you referring to me in, in the essence of good? And maybe again, he waits just a second to see if he's going to acknowledge because you are good and you are God. But he doesn't answer the question. And when he didn't or when he couldn't answer the question, Jesus takes him straight to the law. You're asking about eternal life and that you want to know how you get it. And Jesus says, but if you want to enter life, into life, keep the commandments. The guy had asked, what shall I do? And it is quite possible that this young man is so sincere and so serious in asking this, given the fact that the religious system was very outwardly. And I'm sure that, he, that, that they thought, just as people do today in a lot of areas, that if you do enough good deeds and or things, or right things, that should be good enough. And that, because in the end, God will somehow weigh out the good deeds with the bad deeds. And if the good deeds weigh out, <laughs> then you're in. If the bad weighs out, it's like, ah, come on, man. 
Did you remember this one and that one? (laughs) And so they thought the same thing. Well, I must be doing good because outwardly I'm doing everything possible. Jesus will take them a little deeper in a little bit. But Jesus does say, but if you want to enter into life, you must or keep the commandments. Because a young man never answered the question, Jesus says, in essence, if you want to enter into life, then you will need to give evidence of your righteousness. And and the standard of, of or for righteousness is the law of Moses. And so that's what basically Jesus is saying. You want eternal life, then let's match it up against the law. So was Jesus actually teaching that people can receive eternal life by obeying the law and or God's law in this sense? And it seems like he's, he he seems like that's the way he's taking him here. Because if one is able to keep the law perfectly, then they can stand up to God and say, every commandment you gave me, I have kept every last one of them. And so certainly, you deserve eternal life if you can keep every commandment. But no one can keep the commandments and the law perfectly. And Jesus knows that. James 2.10 says, But whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight, in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so the law was a mirror to show us that we truly can't keep the law. And if you think that you could keep the law all the way through, if you've messed up just in one point, the smallest point, you're guilty of all of them. That's how technical it is. And so when Jesus responds to him, hey, well, keep the commandments. This young man in verse 18 says, well, which ones? Which ones? Obviously, this young man thought that Jesus was referring to all the other standards of righteousness which had been promoted by the Pharisees who had added law upon law upon the Ten Commandments to where there's hundreds of, of laws, and he's probably thinking, okay, I see that the Pharisees, they keep the law, and they look really, really righteous outwardly. Maybe he has not heard the messages that Jesus had shared about the Pharisees, or that he will share about the Pharisees. That they look good on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. And so this man is probably thinking outwardly, I've done all of that. Everything that you're throwing at me right now, Jesus, nailed it. I've got him down. All of them. So in effect, the young man is asking Jesus, which ones do I have to do? Which ones of the the pharisaical commandments do I have to do? Do I have to do all of them or is there certain ones in particular? Again, seeing these religious leaders look and act very holy and religious, he probably thought, I could do it. No biggie. And so Jesus turns to him and he says, you shall not murder, you shall... And, and, and he gives them a litany of, of the Ten Commandments. He gives them uh, the commandments, commandments five through nine of the Ten Commandments. And in the order that he says them, it's number commandment six, seven, eight, nine. And then he goes back to commandment five, honor your father and mother. And then he throws in there Leviticus 19.18, part of that verse where it says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice that Jesus does not mention the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Jesus, that was the one card that he's holding in his back pocket. (laughs) Wait a minute, buckaroo. He doesn't throw that one out. And I love that. (laughs) All of these things I have kept from my youth, he says. 
Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't challenge him. He doesn't. With the assertion that he is making that he has kept all of these, even though Jesus could probably have challenged him, even though he probably could have thrown, taken out that 10th that commandment card and said, here, here, buddy, let's talk about this one. He doesn't do that to him. But he will dig a little deeper in a little while. He could have right there and then began to dig deeper, but he doesn't. And maybe Jesus doesn't because he didn't need to in this situation. You see, the young man honestly thought that he had done all of these things. But what's interesting about this young man is that he understood something very, very important that he was still lacking something in his life. There was still one. There's something else, man. I know I'm doing all of these things. I'm nailing it all. But there's something inside that I'm still empty about. When you look at this young man, this guy has everything everybody wants to be. (laughs) Rich, Young, and a ruler of some kind. And he was probably easy on the eyes as well. Probably a very handsome man. He had everything going for him. He's the kind of guy you like to hate, right? Because he, he has it all. He is morally upstanding. We see that when he comes in Mark's gospel and reverently and respectfully kneels before Jesus, so he's reverent and respectful. And we see that as, as we look at him, he's economically successful, he's socially successful, morally successful, and religiously successful. This guy's a success story. You're going, man, I wish we had 20 of those rich young rulers around. And yet, he asks the question, what do I still lack? Which is, again, interesting. It seems like even though he's doing, 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 he he, he doesn't seem to have this assurance that he's in yet. There's something lacking. Even with all the good things he has done. And what Jesus is about to do with this young man is what he does with every last one of us. One time or another in our Christian life, he challenges us. He goes down just a little deeper, just below the surface. You know, because we're really good at the surface level. I don't know about you. I'm really good at surface level. We can all be, I think. He's going to go just a little deeper, just a little bit more personal. In other words, Jesus was going to put his finger on That one thing, that one thing that he lacked and or fell short of. The word lack in the Greek means to fall short of. And it's interesting, as Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter, what reminded me is Roman, or what I was reminded of is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. All have fallen short. We all lacked something. As good as you thought you were. And I was a really nice guy. Just ask me. I was really nice. Actually, I was a really good hypocrite too. But be that as it may. Jesus is going to challenge, confront, and expose this young man's true source and center of joy, security, and comfort. (laughs) In other words, he was going to open up his eyes to the reality of where he fell short and what was truly lacking in his life. What we truly need to understand what is happening here is what Mark's gospel tells us about this before Jesus answers him. In verse 21, but in, in, in Mark 10.21, it says, 
Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. And then he tells him, Go, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. He loved him. He loved him truly. He loved him enough to challenge him and go just a little deeper. And the things that he lacked. <clears throat> Again, Jesus never said any of this to anybody else in the Gospels. At least not directly like this. But he has alluded to the fact that if we want to follow him, forsake everything to follow him. Everything. Everything. But what Jesus is requiring of this young man is out of pure love. Pure love. In the attempt to meet this young man's deepest desire. And that is to be perfect and or complete. That's what this man wants. He has done all he possibly could outwardly, and yet inwardly he's going, I lack something, and he's the one that could tell me what I am lacking. And if there's one more commandment that I truly need to do, then I am in. And so Jesus wants to meet him right where he is at. With all that he had, with all the righteousness that he thought he had in him. And I truly believe that he was sincere, genuine, and honest as he's asking Jesus about this. And yet understanding, Lord, there's some emptiness in me. The word perfect means complete. Completeness. To come a full age. Properly speaking, brought to an end. Finished. Lacking nothing necessary to completeness. In other words, that which has reached its aim. I.e. all that you hope for and all that you hope to be. And Jesus wanted to help this man get there. That was his deepest desire. I want to be complete. What must I do? And if I can get that, I know I will have eternal life. And so what Jesus wants to do is help him get there. And so he's going to point out to him what was standing in his way of getting there. And he says, go. <laughs> Sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. <laughs> what Jesus is telling him to do is only to help him reach that end. To help him reach that place where, where, where he could have perfection and or completeness. Jesus wasn't trying to take anything. Understand that. He wasn't trying to take anything from him. But give him what he was lacking or falling short in. And again, we always think of God being a taker. Always. For some reason, we revert to that, that if I turn to God, He's going to take X, Y, and Z. And He's not a taker. He is a giver. And Jesus doesn't want to take anything from this man. He wants to give him what his deep down desire is. What must I still do? I'll tell you what you got to do. So He's not saying, here, let me take everything away from you so you can follow me. He's saying, here, let me give you what you need to fulfill that desire. And by the way, follow me. After you get to that point, man, following me is a breeze. This young man understood that he was lacking something in his life. And Jesus has just revealed it to him. Without throwing that card out of the 10th commandment, he just said to him, everything, you, everything that you've gotten... Let it go. It'll free you up. 
It will totally free you up. And follow me. He has just revealed this to him. He has shown him what was standing in his way. This rich young ruler's way of true fulfillment and true completeness. This young man, when Jesus quoted to him Leviticus, where he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he truly thought that he loved his neighbor as himself. He hadn't stolen from anybody. He hadn't committed adultery with anybody. He hadn't lied to anybody. He hadn't done any of those things. But when Jesus says to him to give it all away to help his neighbor, he couldn't. He was stumped. He's just going, dang, Jesus, you're asking for too much. (laughs) And Jesus doesn't ask for much. He just asks for all. He doesn't. He doesn't ask for much. He just wants it all. Again, we've learned this in the past, right? That we can't serve two masters at the same time. We can't. And that's very uncomfortable for us who love serving two masters. (laughs) And I'm right there with you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not just going, here, you guys. It's like, dude, this was a hard lesson to be studying for the last few, few days. You see, and our natural tendencies are here is to point, you know, at this point, is to say to this guy, hey, 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 just add Jesus to what you have now. Just keep what you've got. Just add Jesus to, to the mix. And, and, and you can keep all your stuff. You can keep on doing what you've been doing. You can keep living the way you've been living It's okay. Just add Jesus to the mix and everything will be okay. And that's not always the case, is it? Because Jesus is saying, I don't want second place. I don't want to be in the mix. That's not what I want. (laughs) Jesus doesn't want to be in the mix of what we do and what we say and how we live. Because we would tell somebody, well, just switch your priorities around and you could keep everything and do whatever. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is not, and God is not, a priority. He is not a priority. He is our life. He is our everything. He does not take first place in our life. He takes it all. That's who He is. And I truly believe that there are times... That Jesus brings every last one of us to this point. And maybe that's you today. (laughs) We're all of us, and you're going, I thought we were going to talk about that one guy, not about us. (laughs) Okay, so I lied. No, I, I, I truly believe that he brings us to this point, every last one of us, where he challenged... He challenges, he, he, he confronts, and He exposes to us what is our true source and center of joy, security, and comfort. And when He does, <laughs> we almost want to go, oh, I rebuke that, Satan. Huh. Man, you couldn't possibly be asking me about those things. Security? God wants me to have Security? Ah. he challenges us what, what is your true joy what is your true comfort and security in other words he opens up our eyes to the reality of where we fall short because outwardly man we could be doing so many great things in the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of God And yet there are times where he opens our eyes just a little bit, maybe a lot of bit, and he says, now this is what's truly on the throne right now. This is what's standing between you and me. (laughs) Because he tells this guy, I'm not going to go through verse 30, just to let you guys know. I don't think we're going to get there. He tells this guy, 
Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. The problem is that we like our treasures here on earth a lot. And they are hard to let go of. You know, it's interesting. I, 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 just in the last few months, I was thinking about this. This is why I'm not going to finish. I got too much. <laughs> I, I, I was driving up right there by, on, on, on Sheep Creek the other day. Eh, a couple months. Right there by, by downtown Burger. And, and, you know, there's that old water tank there, and there's people that were living right there. And it just dawned on me. Because you would pass by and you go, man, that poor guy has nothing. No, he has something. That's his, that's his earthly treasures right there. It's like, it's my shopping cart. It's not yours. And, and they will kill each other over it. Why? Because it's mine. It's my earthly treasure. This is all I have. And, and we would look at him and go, man, he has nothing. It's like, oh, no, he doesn't. He has something. And he fights for it, right? And so we like our earthly treasures, because oftentimes, it is those earthly treasures that really define us. <laughs> really tells other people who we are and what we do. And we get used to a certain level of joy, security, and comfort. Again, guys, this is a hard message. It might be hard for you to hear. It's a harder message for me to give. Because I've been battling this for, for over a week as I've been studying this, going, dang, Lord, <laughs> I like my earthly treasures too. We're all battling this. It's not just you. It's not just me. Man, it's, it's tough. Being an American Christian is tough. And you're going, well, come on. It's like, yeah, I know. It's tough. Treasures in heaven are great. But they're just so far away. <laughs> And they're not tangible. <laughs> you know, and when people are going, oh, well, I have all these rewards in heaven, it's like, look at my rewards right now. Look at what I drive. Look at what I have. <laughs> look at all my property. <laughs> you know, we're that way. We don't mind building up treasures in heaven. We really don't. As long as we can still hold on to certain treasures here on earth. They were pretty okay. He says to him, Man, you will have treasures in heaven. So come and follow me. Get rid of all that stuff that's holding you back from truly desiring what you lack. Come follow me. What if, just what if, because we know the story, what if this guy? would have taken Jesus up on that? What if he said, done? Who's to say that Jesus would not have given him more than he ever had because he could not give it away fast enough? He's going, I got to get rid of all the stuff because I'm going to go follow Jesus and more is coming in. It's like, <laughs> get rid of it because I want to follow Jesus. What, what if... <laughs> He would have done that. And Jesus would have said, bro, it's going to take you a while. You're going to be following me the whole time. And you're not going to realize that you're following me because you're going to be blessing everybody. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself truly. And who's to say that this young man would not have experienced much more joy, security, and comfort in Jesus than he ever had with all his riches? Who's to say that he would have said, I didn't know I could have this much joy as giving it all away. I cannot believe I have this much security and I have nothing to my name. I can't believe that I'm this comfortable with nothing. Who's to say that the freedom of knowing that his possessions did not possess him anymore would have been better than gaining the whole world now that he has gained his own soul. 
or eternal life. Isn't that why he came to ask Jesus what he needed? What must I need? What, what, what must I do? What am I still lacking? Verse 22, and we'll finish here. Dang it. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think Luke's gospel says because he was very rich. Matthew 16, 26 says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This rich young ruler did not expect this curveball that the Lord threw at him. <laughs> he was looking for a fastball all the way down. <laughs> He's going, man, I'm going to nail this. And man, he was going to read the stitches on that fastball, man. Boom, man, bam. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just throws him a curveball. It's like, and he buckles, man. Boom. I don't know if you've ever seen a baseball player do that, man. He's looking for a fastball all day long, and this guy throws a wicked curveball, man. He just buckles the guy, and he looks silly, you know? That's what happened. He threw him a curveball. But it wasn't to hurt him. Even though it looked like it was coming right at him, he wasn't doing it to hurt him, man. It was because he loved him. He, lo he truly, truly loved him. And he went away sorrowful. Notice one thing here. Jesus didn't go chasing after him. He didn't go chasing after him. <clears throat> he let him go sorrowful. You're going, Jesus, aren't we supposed to be happy? Can't, can't, can't you make some exceptions just so I'm happy instead of sorrowful? I'm going to walk away right now. Because if you don't do what I ask you to do, Jesus, I might walk away from you. If it doesn't go my way, bailing. I'm bouncing. I'm going hard away from you. And Jesus lets you go. Sorrowful, bummed out, upset. Not because he hates you, because he loves you. Jesus loved him enough to let him go. He didn't make an exception for him because he was this close from being into that, entering into that kingdom. He was that close. He didn't, he didn't go, gosh, you were so close. Let me just bend the rules here really quick didn't he didn't make an exception because he was a good guy or he had money this poor young ruler as opposed to this rich young ruler this poor young ruler could not take his his, his great possessions off the throne of his heart and let Jesus rule and reign the, the throne of his heart just couldn't. So Jesus, can you just sit on top of my possessions? <laughs> you know, kind of have your you and my and, and you know everything put together, the whole package. He's going, no. There's only one thing that sits on the throne of your heart, and that's me. This is where we find our joy and our security and our comfort, not on the things that we have or don't have. This poor rich young ruler couldn't do that. What he, what he still lacked was following after Jesus as far, as hard as he ran or, or, or followed to maybe gain all those possessions. He, he did not want to run that hard for Jesus, to let all of that go in that sense. What he still lacked was joy, security, and comfort in Jesus that his great possessions could never have given him. And I wonder, whatever happened to all those great possessions that he had? I wonder who, I wonder who, who got them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably buried somewhere in Israel, somewhere. He didn't take them with him, not one of them. It never tells us that he 
finally came back to follow after. It doesn't tell us that. He's the richest man in the cemetery. See, Jesus was saying, hey, man, you want that goal? You want that end? You want joy? You want security? You want comfort? You're not going to find it in anything else but me. And he gave him that opportunity. Give it all away. You don't need that. You'll be so much more freer. Living with less, poof, no responsibility. (laughs) Just give it all away. Come, follow me. Again, I had so much more to share with you guys. It was really good. But we'll just have to wait for next week. (laughs) You guys are my test case. Next service, I don't even have to tell them anything. Let's pray. Lord, this is not an easy portion of Scripture to be able to share and to be able to receive. But I pray for us, Lord. I pray for us, Lord, because it is difficult. Lord, even though we, we, we have salvation, we have eternal life already, Lord. And yet I think even as Christians, Lord God, we often fight what sits on the throne. And when we're fighting that, Lord God, we have no joy, security, or comfort in our hearts. And we're battling continuously, Lord. I ask that you would forgive us for that. Lord, when we're in that place like this young man, when you really dig down just a little deeper and you probe a little bit more and you convict our hearts, Lord, and then we try to put that away because we don't want to deal with it, Lord. I pray for us as believers. Lord, help us to give it all away, Lord, so that we can have you. All of it, Lord. Again, I don't know what you're asking of me right now. I don't know what you're asking of my brothers and sisters. I don't know what you're asking for us as a church. But we humble ourselves. And we want to come just like this man to bow down and kneel before you. That God, you would deal with us. That as you probe into my heart and into our hearts, God, you would just show us how to do this. And so, Lord, we look to you. That's all we can do right now, Lord. After hearing something like this, Lord, here we are. Deal with us. In Jesus' name, amen.